Welcome to Fostering Solutions, a podcast that uplifts people and enterprises making positive impact in communities around the world. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Foster. All righty, today we are on Fostering Solutions, and my special guest is Mark Dalgetty. This is the beginning of our leadership series, and I'm excited to have my old friend. I've known this guy since we were like 10, <laughs> many, many years ago in high school um, in Guyana. So it's my pleasure to have Mark Dalgetty on. Mark, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you, Michelle. It's a pleasure to be invited to my uh, my old schoolmates' uh, show. You know, what I mean, uh, I think it's the force of its kind. Thinking about it, you know, yeah, <laughs> considering yeah. that we were both exactly in the same class, sitting next to one another. You know, what I mean, I don't know, fifty odd years ago. Now, don't give her age. It was forty, forty, not fifty, forty. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, we gotta stay young you never share your age right absolutely well i mean <laughs> women don't guys are not bothered yeah you guys don't care well mark is mark is joining me from london i'm based here in in charleston west virginia so it's an international conversation so mark tell the audience about yourself who is mark dalgetty well uh in a nice nutshell i would say mark dalgetty um in brief, let's say, born in London, sent to Guyana when I was one year old by my parents who were studying in the United Kingdom. Uh, my dad was studying chemistry. My mom was a sociologist. Um, sent to Guyana when I was one year old and um, grew up with my aunt and grandma and my um, granddad also. I spent most of my formative years in Guyana. During the school term, I was in the urban part of the, of the cities and in the in the holiday period, I was with my grandparents, um, you know, doing the things like milking cows, looking after chickens, uh, in the rice fields, in the cane fields, swimming in the trenches and everything that, I mean, where Guyana, it could be explored in a, in a, in a natural format, you know. Um, I then returned or came back, came to London when I, I don't know, it was around 20 or 19. Um, spent three years working as an independent courier, then went off to study chemical engineering, spent a year in industry, and then head back to Guyana, where I was trying to relocate and then end up with um, some ideal ideas where I started my tea business. And mm. now it's almost 25, over 25 years or 25 years at least since I've started a business. And here I am now being interviewed by you. <laughs> okay, wonderful. So you're in the tea business. You're the founder of a tea company, Dalgetty Teas, that's based in London, which is probably, they, they drink more tea there probably more than any place in the world. So what or who inspired you to launch your company? Um. It wasn't a why or, uh, or, or a who. Um, to tell the truth, it was kind of like almost, uh, I would say, a stumbled situation that I saw an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, when I finished studying, I actually was trying to relocate to Guyana to live. Mm-hmm. and um, But I had an, a mortgage in the United Kingdom. So although I was, um, I was helping my dad with a business he had down there that he was making something called sodium silicate and um, also putty and aquatite. 
Um, he was on to having some challenges. So I went down to help him. But then I actually had a, a, more, a mortgage, as I said, in the UK and was struggling to pay that mortgage. So I used to come back up to, um, to, to London every six months, do some sort of taxiing for three months, left the money inside of my account and then head back to Guyana. And it was beginning to get very cumbersome. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realized that what I needed to do is find a product that I felt that I could make hard currency with. Uh, somewhere along the line, when I arrived in London, um, uh, I met an old Guyanese Chinese guy who asked me if I could get him some Cerise tea bush. And I asked him how much, and he said, any amount. You know, so mm-hmm. when he said any amount, I said, wow, you know, and I said, well, how many packets? He said, I don't know. 5,000, 10,000, wow. 20. So I'm like, mm, okay. So normally when I arrive in London, I'm normally totally flat broke. I looked at my credit card and I realized I had about a, to- in those days, is 25 years ago, I had a thousand pounds available. I bought a ticket and headed straight back down to Guyana. And I went into the rural areas where, I, where my grandparents lived and, and, and went into the, um, into the, what we call the, the back dam in Guyana, you know, where all the farms are. And collected about a thousand pounds of this Cersei tea bush, dried it, as, and luckily enough, my parents weren't in the country, but I sat in the living room and using a scissors, I cut it into 16,000 one ounce packets. Wow. Shipped it back to the United Kingdom and, um, and sold it for 50 pence each, earning about 8,000 pounds, you know? Mm. Um, so that was a cool turnover. But then what happened is that whilst I was um, selling it, one day uh, an Indian shopkeeper turned to me and said, you know, because the stuff is in packets, it wasn't like the, the nice packaging you see now, and said, mm-hmm. oh, you're calling this stuff tea? Where's the tea bags? You know? <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I just laughed about it, but then it, it just, you know, it just stuck in my head for like two, three days. And then, and then as I began to, you know, on the journey, I began to realize that, by the way, this stuff in the in Europe that these guys are calling herbal teas is what we call bush tea in the Caribbean. Right. right, right. I mean, I mean in the Caribbean organic stuff, right? Organic. Yeah, in, in the Caribbean, I mean you want something like I don't know if you got fever or so you go and you pick some lemongrass or fever grass as they call it, or you know, you just go and pick the bush or the leaves and and then you just boil it. So mm-hmm. then it's dawned on me that I mean this is the same leaves and so forth, but when it's packaged into tea bags. Right. It then becomes herbal tea and it's also a premium product. So right there and then, I mean, my whole engineering knowledge kicked in and I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to try and introduce these Europeans here into some herbal teas, right, from the Caribbean. But more importantly, um, at that time, what I found is that a lot of the herbal teas at that time was using a lot of artificial flavorings. So I thought I'll introduce them to 100% natural, strong flavored herbal teas that was from a Caribbean background with a Caribbean um, team to it. So that was basically the, 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 the concept of how it started. So you used your engineering background, your science background from high school, yes. And yes. your chemical engineering background, and also your entrepreneurial spirit. Because I think you had to have some kind of entrepreneurial, you know, spirit in you to see the opportunity wouldn't you agree yeah that is true actually I, there's, a, there's a funny situation that you might or might not remember you know at school um i i, I was definitely always an entrepreneur i used to keep a lot of these dances and um, parties where i had people paying to go in 
and you might not remember or might remember. Yeah, I, I was could, so I was such a good girl. I never came to those parties. So. I, is that so? <laughs> <laughs> you just weren't allowed to come. Exactly. <laughs> but then I also used to change currency, and I could remember if you remember sometime in third form. I can remember one of your family came. I can remember taking U.S. currency from you and going changing it. Oh, I don't remember that. Wow. I remember that because one yeah. of my first deals. <laughs> oh. You always had that entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. I, it, I mean, entrepreneurial wasn't a big word in those days, you know what I mean? Right. To say, but I mean, I think I was always into the wheeling and, and I mean, but I wouldn't call it wheeling and dealing, but always looking at opportunities to make some sort of money or, you know, right. some sort of profit situation, you know? Yeah. So you kind of described where your business started. So kind of take us along that trajectory that where you were, you know, just uh, harvesting your, your herbs from the, the Well, I never really back. got into the harvesting. I mean, um, I mean, the thing about it is that with regards to to the teas, uh, I never really knew much about, you know, in, 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 in Guyana, in the, in the rural areas, I mean, or you go to certain markets, there's a lot of people that know about a lot of the benefits of the teas. What I was really motivated by is really the technology of taking those teas to the next level. Right. Because I mean, the teas are not new, you know, I mean, these things have been around for hundreds of years in the Caribbean and, and in Guyana, you know, what I've basically done is apply the modern technology to package it and keep and maintain the naturalness, the natural nature of it, you know, but presenting it to what I call a modern day consumer. Right, right. You know, um, but entering the market in the UK, which I mean, you're speaking about the trajectory is that, um, I mean, 25 years ago, you didn't have Google and all these various things, yeah, you know? Yeah. So um, I just- No Amazon. Yeah. No Amazon, no nothing, you know? Yeah. So I basically used what I call a common sense approach to marketing the products because I mean, it was new. People were just accustomed to drinking your normal tea, your Lipton or your PG tips or what it is. Um, it was an emerging market. I simply just um, went into the library. I decided I was going to target mainly the areas that had a high ethnic minority population or a migrant population, which was made up of people from the Caribbean, India, Africa, China, and so forth, mm -hmm. um, who were, would normally be a bit more familiar with these herbal um, horrible, uh, products, yeah? Mm -hmm. And at least in a loose form. So you didn't have to educate them too much about the benefits. I mean, all you had to do is present to them that this was a, was a modern day packaging version of it. And since they were now in a fast moving um, consumer uh, society, um, mm -hmm. who has time to go boiling the bush and, and, yeah. and straining it and so forth, you know? And uh, simply went into the library and, um, and, and worked out from the consensus book, where were the high population areas with ethnic minorities. I used the same books in the library to find out where the supermarkets were and literally put the teas into my briefcase and went from shop to shop. <laughs> I mean, I broke down the London, UK into certain categories, inner London, outer London, then moved north of England, then west of England, south of England, and all the pockets that had migrant population. But that's pretty much how the brand was built. Mm -hmm. And then after about a year, I, in each, each city, I began to find wholesalers that continued selling the products to me whilst I wasn't there, right? Because before you were going to shop to shop, if you go to yeah. shop to shop, you're selling like a few packets at a time. Then you go to wholesale, you buy a pallet. Then mm -hmm. eventually once I 
conquered most of that market. I then went from one distributor that covered the whole country, and then they were buying the equivalent of a container. So, I mean, that's basically how the, the, the brand, and then one, obviously once I built the UK market, we started venturing into various other parts of the world, other European countries, uh, back to the Caribbean and things like that. So, so where and what countries can someone buy Dalgetty teas now? Well, at the moment, I mean, apart from the UK, which obviously we have over five, 6,000 retail shops that sell, and, and obviously we're also in the big supermarket chains like the Sainsbury's, Tesco, as the Walmart. Um, our biggest export market right now is mainly into the West Africa, where we've just set up operations in Ghana. Um, but we've been doing, I would say, uh, moderate sales into countries like um, Nigeria, Ghana, Kenya, into Europe, you know, France, the neighboring countries, uh, Germany, um, occasionally Spain, Sweden. The small, nothing like container loads, you know, but just sort of like testing the waters. We sold to America also. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but th those areas, and we also sold to China, interestingly. I think we won, wow. that was many years ago, we, we sold uh, teas to China and ended up getting a war because, I mean, the, 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 the district that I was, I was operating from, they were a bit puzzled how, how this little tea company managed to export tea to China when everybody was importing tea from China, but then we, we, we had a good, unique selling point. Right, right, right. And also the Caribbean, because you're... Yes, yes, and the Caribbean. Yeah, I did mention yeah. the Guyana it's, it's, and the okay. Jamaica. Yes, that's right. That's Absolutely. Right. So you're, you're clearly a leader. And um, when you think about leadership, I believe that leaders aren't born. Some people think it's some magic. No, I believe leaders are made. And that to be a leader, you kind of develop certain skills and attitudes and behaviors, which can be learned. So... If you kind of reflect on your journey, what would you say are some of those skills, attitudes, and behaviors that you had to learn or adopt in order to be successful? Um, I think my leadership skill is, I, I, I tend to be relaxed because I try to make work play, but then at the same time, I tend to be very highly focused and target-driven. And I'm also a very um, determined person and probably resilient is another word I would use. Mm -hmm. in terms of achieving and objectives wow. you know um but those are some of the attributes i think um i don't know if always, i probably might have always had them but then it's really just to exercise those those um those things that you have in you you know um and that's pretty much me you know in terms of um if you want to call it leadership skill mm -hmm. you know but i'm always very focused on what i'm trying to do i'm um I'm definitely resilient. I'm definitely determined. I'm definitely target driven. But in uh, all of it, I try to make sure I, I am having fun whilst I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. That gives you balance, right? That's all. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So how do you have a large, I know you've got to have a large team working with you to make this happen. What kind of, how large is your team and how do you manage them? What's your, what would you say is your leadership style? Actually, um, I don't have a large team any longer I, I, because uh, I had a large team. But I mean, you got to work smart in the environment that you have right. now. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, the largest team I had at one time, um, which is up to about 10 years ago, is basically, um, I think we had a factory with about 25, 30 people in it. 
But then I pivoted the business about 10 years ago because we were finding ourselves, um, uh, I was always limited in my good by the capacity of the machinery that I had. So what we ended up doing is basically um, outsourcing. I, 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 I leased my whole factory to another person, business associate I had. And then he had spare capacity. And then I basically signed a contract and, and, and allowed him to start packaging a lot of our stuff for us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so I could spend a lot more time on developing new products because, I mean, what we enjoy doing, or I would say I enjoy doing most, is developing products and developing markets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I was getting tied down by the running of the factory because you got to understand, especially when you're trying to, to expand, you can't run the whole spectrum. And I've done everything. I mean, I've had a whole spectrum whereby, you know, you've had, I'm developing products. I've got a factory running. I've got vans on the road. I've got salesmen on the road. I'm trying to expand globally. And then it gets a bit too much sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, I decided to take away the manufacturing for a little while. We probably will be going back into it anyhow. Mm-hmm. Um, get some, get some lighten, the, lighten the weight of, because the, the thing about expanding is also, the more people you have is the more cumbersome your life could get. Right. So, um, you know, so idly, I mean, when you start, it sounds good like having 25, 30 people in the factory, but it's not that straightforward. You know, um, especially in the early days since, I mean, I never really worked that much, never really worked in corporate. So everything that I've learned in terms of managing people and managing systems is all trial and error mm. and reading books. I mean, I've never had a coach or anything like that. So it's all mm. pure, natural, you know, or you might hear somebody does something to deal with a matter and you say, oh, I, I'll try that one day, you know. Um, right, right, so right. It was a situation that I, I mean... Um, I, I worked for so many years in a nice corporate or environment and, and learned certain nice procedures or good practices, you know. Um, I mean, I didn't even know how to employ people. I think half, half of the time, I mean, one of my biggest failures, I would say, or, or, or issues I've ever had is when I set up a factory in Jamaica, went with the same attitude I employed people in the UK and, 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 and lost over, I don't know, quarter, half a million pounds all because I employed the wrong people and didn't know how to train them properly, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. But I mean, um, then I came back to the UK and literally went on a course on just how to employ people. <laughs> and like, like on the job, like just in time training, right? Before yes, you yes, got to yes. do it again. <laughs> interesting, interesting. So you hadn't, you haven't worked with, worked with a coach. Have you had like a mentor in your life maybe who's, not really. Uh, I mean, what, I, what I've had is, is consultants. So um, a lot of times, normally, if I am on a project and I think um, uh, it's a bit more than I can handle, I would bring in a specialist in a specific field. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, a lot of times, I mean, I come from, as I said, a science background. I like to make things. So sometimes I'm bringing a consultant who might work on financial projections or something like that, you know, or someone who might say like when we go to africa you might have a knowledge on the culture and the and and the, and things that you have to go through within a particular african market mm-hmm. so then you have that person come in when you're doing your due diligence and your studies in terms of of that market or am i pulling somebody to do a research if i'm entering a particular market do the research on the market to let me understand where the opportunities lie Okay. Yeah. So at different points in time, you would use uh, consultants for things like that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. 
So what do you think, if, if you were to advise someone who, you know, who's interested in, in starting a business that's similar to yours, some kind of um, manufacturing or a business similar to yours, um, what would you say are some keys to being an effective leader? Well, leadership skills, that, I'm, a, I'm not the best person to ask that, but I'll try <laughs> <Okay>. and answer. <laughs> I mean, just based on what you have learned. Oh, uh, I think the first thing I could say that the minute you want to start a business, you definitely need to understand the product you're going to sell in the targeted market. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely a, a, a number one aspect. You right. know, you just don't go and do something because you see somebody else doing it. You know, mm -hmm. you have to have a unique selling point in what you're creating and understand right. the people who are potentially need that particular product. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I don't know if that wouldn't really come under what we say is a leadership scenario, but it's definitely a visionary situation. Right. You know? right. I mean, the leadership situation, I think, is that it's important to also focus on your strengths and find people who have the things that you think you're weak in, bring in people with those, um, with those um, uh, strengths. You know, right. Right. Uh, it's important to do that because, I mean, there's some people who try to be jack of all trades. Mm -hmm. And as they say, jack of all trades, master of none. Master of none. And then they yeah. suddenly realize that they don't have a business any longer when they might have been better off focusing in on what they think is their best attributes and then bringing the skill set for things that they're weak on. Okay. Okay. Um, so what do you, if you reflect on, you know, where you are now, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you first started Dalgetty Tees? Um, I, I think I wish I knew a lot more on finance management mm -hmm. because I mean, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you really do a lot of crazy stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but saying that sometimes, I mean, also having too much knowledge of financial management might make you not want to take certain risk right. because sometimes if you look at a math, sometimes you're probably, I mean, you know, you, you, kind of come quick to tell you it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. But then what happens with the entrepreneur now, you go on the ideas. And the ideas, and then you 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 bull, bull your way through it in terms of your determination and focus, and then make it work. But then saying that once you you get the business table and you want to take it to another level, it's important to keep very close to the numbers, because right. the numbers right. is the main thing that you have to understand in growing your business. Mm. You know, and I mean that's why sometimes there's some communities or some folks that copy people's ideas, and then you want to know how they make it successful, although they never had an idea. That's because the guy with the idea wasn't looking at the numbers and the guy that copied him, he don't have no ideas, but he looked at the numbers and then he right, ended up making right, right. A, a success based on just looking at the numbers and he's just walking around looking for other people's ideas and, 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 and turn it into a profitable business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and when you think, when you say the numbers, you mean what it costs and what you no, can... No, yeah, yeah, the whole maths and financial um, right. management, you know, uh, with regards to the understanding how the engine of the business run. Because at the end of the day, you want a business to make a profit. Right. It's not, yeah. And as a profit, P-R-O-F-I-T, not you being a profit as a profit is a viable. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of businessmen that are profits but not, and don't make a profit. Don't make a so profit. So people are there patting on their back because they made a great product and then they don't have a, a business because they never made a profit. <laughs> that's right. That, that, that's powerful right there. Make, <laughs> make a profit and not be a profit when it comes to business. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where can you, where, you know, you're, you are selling teas in, in the U.S., so where can 
U.S. listeners purchase Dal Getty tea? Well, at the moment, uh, U.S. listeners could purchase the teas on um, on brownline-ent.com. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, our expansion right now is that we should be in America in a proper manner by the end of October. Okay. We just set up over Dalgetty USA, and um, by the end of this month, we have containers heading across there. So we set up our own from bottom up. Um, we're starting to do our own distribution in the U.S. market. So um, after many, many years, hopefully my U.S. Uh, <laughs> associates will see Dalgetty teas properly established in the U.S. market. Awesome. Awesome. So that, that's probably uh, what's coming up next. Yeah. And then uh, apart from that, obviously, I mean, on our global line, which is www.dalgety.co, that is C-O, not com, okay. .co. Um, I mean, we do online sales all over the world. I mean, Russia, Japan, all any, any place. I mean, um, it's a bit expensive to the U.S., but I mean, we have people who just want our teas and they pay for it anyhow. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Is is there a a sale that you made to a country that surprised you? Like you wonder how how they heard about you? And well, normally the, the likes of like the you have, when you have a mail order in the likes of Russia. I mean that normally yeah, you know, or Ukraine or something like that. You know, Iraq. Then you're like, okay, uh, where do you hear us from? <laughs> I know. It's like, how'd you hear about us? Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, any parting words for the audience? Um, well, a good parting word is always to say, um, you know, if you want to be in business, you should definitely, um, you know, stay focused, be determined, be resilient, and have a good unique selling point in whatever product or service that uh, you want to offer. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's an important point as any um, business person should have. All righty. Thanks so much, Mark. Okay. Thank you, Michelle. Great seeing you. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of Fostering Solutions with Mark Dalgetty of Dalgetty Teas. This is one of the episodes in my Keys to Leadership series, and I hope you will check the other episodes out as well. Until next time, be blessed and stay safe. (laughs) 